Thank you so much, Leon. It's just such a blessing to be with you all today. Um, as I've been getting ready to, to be here this morning, I was have been reminded of when I started um, on staff at Trinity a long, long time ago. Um, it feels like now. But when I started on staff at Trinity was probably about nine months before Redeemer was starting, um, before Redeemer was launching as a church. And at that time, Drew was on staff um, at Trinity. And uh, we were meeting monthly as a staff and breaking into small groups to, to pray for one another. And I had the, the great blessing to be um, in, a, in a group with Drew during that time as he was um, visioning and, and getting ready for Redeemer to start. And so I just think back to those, um, to those early days of just praying for, for this community and to see where it is now. It's such a blessing, and I feel um, so honored to get to be here with you all today and to get to share the word. So we're going to be reading from the book of Isaiah today. Um, so let's, um, we can start on that. Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 9. Let's read and then we'll pray and we'll, we'll see what the Lord has to say to us this morning. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching the islands will be put will, will put their hope. This is what God the Lord says, the creator of the heavens who stretches them out who spreads out the earth with all that springs forth from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and I will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for being with us this morning. We thank you that you have called us to this place. We thank you, Lord, for um, just speaking to us through your word. And so, God, we come before you now and, and ask that you would speak to our hearts, speak to our minds as we open up the word together, as we hear what you have to say. God, may our hearts and our minds be um, yielded before you. And, God, we just ask that, um, that you would just guide us and lead us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me move my Bible real quick, sorry. <laughs> All right, so the book of Isaiah um, is a prophetic book, obviously. I know, I think last week y'all were in the book of Jeremiah, also a prophetic book. Um, so this week in Isaiah, we're going we're gonna to kind of continue that as far as um, looking at the, at the prophecies. Um, one of the, the 
really awesome things about Isaiah is how how much time frame it spans. Um, for a prophetic book, a lot of times you would think, oh, well, it's just kind of leading up to the time of like it's the warning that comes right before something actually happens. But Isaiah actually spans time through um, before and during and after the exile, recording what the prophet is saying, recording what God is saying to the people throughout this whole experience. Another thing about the book of Isaiah is that um, it's a little bit of a different genre than you might see in some of the other prophets where it's more maybe narrative um, that's happening. Um, in Isaiah, we're talking, this lot, there's lots of oracles, lots of poetry that's happening um, as the prophet is speaking or as God is speaking through the prophet. And so what we see is it can be read um, kind of in different levels, and we're going to see that as we go through this text today. Um, specifically today, when we talk about the servant, um, sometimes the servant can be Israel. Sometimes the servant can be the prophet. Sometimes um, the, the servant can be um, something that's going to happen in the future. And so um, today when we read, we're going we're gonna to see a couple of those ways that the, um, the, the servant can be talked about in the text. But before we get to the, to the text itself, I want to put Isaiah into its context as far as the full biblical narrative. And so we'll see like what the story of God looks like throughout Scripture, what God is wanting to say to us um, as we go throughout Scripture, what he's wanting to reveal about who he is and what his story is in this world and what is continuing on and on until we get to the, until the time that he restores all things. So we can break it down into four parts, and you can see that here, where um, obviously the Bible starts off in Genesis 1 with creation, with God, who is um, creating all things and everything within the world. Um, he is the creator God. And he says that what he's created is very good. And so we see the first humans, Adam and Eve, in the garden with God. And they are not, there's no barrier between them and God. They're able to enjoy him. They're able to enjoy the garden. Um, there's no, no sense of brokenness. Um, it's, it's more just that they, they um, there's a sense of peace. There's a sense of, of unity that's there. And that lasts about two chapters. And then we get to chapter three and... It all falls apart. So that's when sin, as we know, enters the world. The fall of humans um, comes, and therefore things are broken. And Adam and Eve are, ha, have to leave God's presence because of sin, because of their brokenness. They have to leave the garden, and the gate is shut. And they no longer have the same access to God's presence as they did before. And so what we see in the Bible then, from that point on, is the story of God's redemption, how God is going to fix this, how God is going to make a way for people to be in his presence once again, to be able to be in relationship with him once again. So redemption really is about God restoring relationship, reestablishing relationship between he and his people. And the way that he chooses to do that is through covenant. So you can go to the next slide. We can see that, that this idea of covenant um, what covenant is, and we know covenant from our own culture, um, is a way to establish relationship. It's a way to put terms around relationship of this is how it works. Like, I'm going to do this, and you're going to do that, um, and this is how we're going to be together. This is how we're going to be able to live to get together. One of the, the best examples of this in our own culture would be the marriage covenant, right? A couple stands before their pastor and before their family and their friends when we're not in COVID um, and are able to say to each other this is what this is how we're going to live together 
And so what God does is he takes this idea of covenant, which is in their culture. He uses it in a way that they use it in in the ancient Near Eastern culture. He takes that idea and he says, okay, here's how we're going to be in relationship together. Here's what we're going to do. And so here's the here's what I'm going to do for you, and then here's your part of the, the covenant that's going to make it possible for us to be in relationship. And so it's through covenant that God raises up his people, Israel, and gives them a place where they can live and where they can worship him. And so we see the covenants lay out with Noah and then Abraham and Moses and Israel, David, and all of these are, are pointing toward the new covenant that will come with Jesus so you can see that on the next slide. Um, and so, but what what we're looking for here, though, is to say why is like why is God putting these these covenants with Israel? What He's doing is He's saying I'm going to take a people, and with that people, I am going to reveal myself to them, show them who I am. Also, I'm going to tell them who I have created them to be. And the purpose of all of this is so that I can be in relationship with them, but also so that others, the Gentile nations, the other people around us can also see um, what, who, God, who I am, who God is, and who he's called us to be, how they can also be in relationship with him. And so this is the call on, on Israel, is to be God's people, to be his representative in the world, showing them what relationship with God looks like. But as we know from the scriptures, what happens is that Israel struggles to live up to to their part of the covenant. And therefore, then God sends the prophets like Isaiah to the people to warn them that they're not living up to their part of the covenant. And they're calling on Israel to repent and to choose a different way. They're calling Israel back to be who they who God has called them to be from the beginning. And specifically in two ways, we see the prophet calling them to repent. One is from idols to say, I am the only God that you should be worshiping. There are lots of other gods in the ancient Near East that you could worship, but I am the one true God. And so he's calling them to, to asking them, where is your allegiance? Um, where are you putting your allegiance? And it needs to be with me solely. But the other thing, too, is not just their relationship with God and how they are living with him, but the other part of the of their, the prophet's warning is how they're living out life with each other. That as the people of God, they are called to be people of righteousness and justice, ones who are faithfully executing power in such a way that it is for the good of the community. And so that we see the call from the, the prophets over and over again to look out for the widows and the orphans, those who are on the margins, those who are vulnerable. It's part of their call to show God's heart toward his people. And Israel is not living this part out as well. And so in the first 39 chapters of Isaiah, um, Isaiah is warning the people of God, reminding them of who they're supposed to be, what they're supposed to be about, um, and they're not listening. So what happens as a result is that Babylon comes in and destroys their land, destroys the temple, which is the um, representative of God's presence among them, and, and takes out, kills a lot of their people. So now their land has been taken away. The presence of God has been taken away from the temple. And only a small number of, of, of their number remains. And those are taken into captivity in Babylon. Can you imagine what kind of trauma they must have experienced from this? Like they've lost everything, everything that's familiar. Now they're far away from home in a, in a strange land and a strange language and customs. 
like they're now they're trying to figure out like all the things that told them who they were that we are a nation of Israel, we live in this land, we have this king, we have this temple. All of those things are now gone. So who they are as people, they have no idea who they are. And now where is God? If the temple is not here, if we can't go to the temple and experience God, where is he? What's happened? We're not sure what our future even looks like. So that's when we turn to Isaiah 42. And what we see happen as we get into the text is that God starts to speak again. That even as they sit in exile and in darkness and despair, God is speaking to them. And so as we look at Isaiah 42, verse 1, what we see, like I said, is we'll see Israel as the servant. We're going to read it that way. And what, what God is saying to them is that they are the, the, his servant, my servant whom I uphold, and my chosen one whom, in whom my soul delights. So the word of the Lord is coming into their darkness and reminding them of who they are. This small remnant of a people, um, you could even say this is the biggest moment of failure for them. Um, they're unable to keep the covenant, and now they're sitting in darkness. And yet God looks at them, and he still sees who he has called them to be. God remembers his words from Deuteronomy when he says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the people on the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. His chosen treasured possession. Can you imagine what that must have sounded like to Israel in this place where they are, this place of despair where they are, this place of confusion? Was it what they expected to hear from him? Were they even able to, like, comprehend it or believe it? Like, oh, yeah, that makes sense after all that's happened. Yeah, we're, God still sees us. God's still delighting in us. Is that what they were thinking? I think it must have been hard for them to grasp. And I wonder for us as well, when we're sitting in those places of confusion and darkness, place of disappointment with our, and our brokenness, if it's not hard for us to hear the, those words from the Lord as well. Do we tend to believe that our brokenness outweighs any sense of compassion or love that God might feel toward us? I mean, we know that God loves us, right, because he's supposed to, because he's God. He tolerates us because that's what God does. But what does it mean that God can look at us in the midst of our hardest moments and in the midst of our disappointments and say that he delights in us? That even in our brokenness, God can see us for who he's created us to be. It doesn't mean that he wants to leave us in those circumstances. It doesn't mean that we don't confess sin and name our brokenness. But it means that God loves us too much to leave us where we are. That he wants to continue to redeem us and bring us back to what he has created us to be. Can we imagine that even in the most broken parts of our lives, God still truly loves us, truly chooses us, doesn't give up on us, even when we think he has or when we want to give up on ourselves. This small, insignificant remnant lost in someone else's land and yet still truly treasured and chosen by God. And so we see here in Isaiah, God speaking, coming into their darkness and speaking to who they are. But then the other thing that God does is the word of the Lord comes to them in their darkness and reminds them of who God is. We see in verse 5 that he's the one who set all of this in motion. He reminds them, I am the creator God who stretched out the heavens and spread out the earth. That even when things feel out of control, that God is still in control. Babylon is not in charge. The evil forces of this world are not in control. 
God is still on the throne even when things feel dark, even when it feels like evil is winning. After a week like the one that we've had, I think this is a really good reminder for all of us that God is on the throne, that evil is not winning. Even when it feels that way, even when things can feel dark and confusing, that God is the one who set all of this in motion and he's the one who's going to make it right. He's the one who's going to bring justice. So God is staying faithful to his to the covenant that he's made with Israel, even though Israel is not. God didn't have to come didn't have to come to Israel at the exile. Um, He could have just washed his hands of them and left them where they were. But he does come and he reminds them that they are not defined by this present moment, but instead they're defined by who God is himself and who and what he is up to. And so what we see is that even in the midst of darkness, amen, God has a plan. God reminds Israel that they were meant for something more. Being chosen by God is also being chosen for the sake of others. Instead of getting stuck where they are, God is calling them out to be a light to the nations. And it's so interesting to see here then what what God says to them is as uh, what it means to be a light to the nations, to bring open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon. Now, let's think about where Israel is right now, and it's almost laughable. It's, it's, It's kind of interesting that God is saying to them that they're going to open the eyes of the blind and bring out prisoners from the dungeon when they themselves are blind in exile and they themselves are sitting in captivity. How in the world are they meant to carry this out? How are are they meant to be this light to the nations when they're just this little people sitting in Babylon um, and they themselves are in captivity? The reality is, is that they can't do it on their own. And, some, and it, neither can we. None of us are able to be what the, this calling on our own of what that God has given to them. And so it's at this point that we, we have to turn and look at the servant differently. That maybe the servant is not just Israel as it is in this, this case, but also the servant is pointing us toward Jesus who is coming as the, the redeemer of the world. Jesus is coming and doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And so we see in the New Testament, Matthew and Luke picking up these verses from Isaiah 42 to talk about Jesus. But in Matthew 12, they're, calling, they're quoting Isaiah 42 to say he's the one that's going to bring justice to the nations. But in Luke, um, they're saying that Jesus is the one who will open the eyes of the blind and release the captives. It's Jesus who's going to do these things. And so we are called as a people to submit to him and allow him to do his work in us so that we can make him known to others around us just like israel was meant to reveal god what god was like through the covenant with him so we get to reveal jesus to those around us by allowing him to bring healing into our lives and by seeking ways to bring forth justice in the world he redeems and we get to testify one example i have of this is just that in my own life the way that i have seen um, god redeem my, me personally um, was when I was sitting in um, a really dark place when I was in, in my early early 20s, um, actually younger than that, when, like as a young adult, um, but I was in an, an abusive uh, dating relationship kind of as I was coming into adulthood, and it was a very confusing and dark time for me, and I remember saying to God over and over again, I'm going to fix it, I'm going to fix it, don't worry, I'm going to fix it. 
And I finally came to the place where I realized there was nothing that I could do to change it. There was nothing I could do to save myself, to change my situation, to open the door and be able to walk out as a free person. And it was at that point that I yielded to the Lord and that Jesus came and he opened the door and he freed me. I walked away um, and and I haven't been the same person since. But now, like, you know, 20 years later, I'm an older married woman. And so this is not a story that I am able to to share. I don't, you know, this doesn't come up in normal conversation. It did for a while, but now it doesn't come up just in my day-to-day life. But there was one day about a year ago that I was at the church, and um, a woman walked in the door and asked for someone to pray with her. And I happened to be there in that moment, and so I was like, sure, I can pray with you. And so she and I went up to the sanctuary, and I sat with her and listened to her story. And she um, had had been driving to to her her boyfriend to work on our street that morning. And he, um, he took her phone, and he took the keys to the car, and he just left her with nothing. And she had nowhere to go, and so she just happened to walk into our church um, and ask for someone to pray for her. And I knew in that moment that God had given me that moment to speak into her life, that I got to testify to her the redeeming work of God in my own life in a way that hopefully would open the door for God to set her free. Now, the story is that I sat with her for several hours, and we tried to find a way to get her out of that situation. And at the end of the day, she felt she was just too scared and couldn't, couldn't walk out. And, but that's the work of the Lord to do. My job was to testify to what God had done in my own life and then let him seek to, to save her, let him seek to redeem her life. And I believe that it's the grace of God that she and I got to meet that day. I believe it was the grace of God um, that I got to speak into her life and let her know that God loves her, that God sees her even in that, that dark place, and that he desires freedom for her. And it's still my prayer for her. I believe that God um, is, is working still in her life, even though I don't know for sure, but I believe it to be the case. And so as we're entering into this epiphany season, when it is the time of, of the church calendar, when, when the scriptures that we read were Jesus is made known for who he is. It's also our job as well to make him known for who he is, for what he's doing in our lives, what he's doing in this world, for us to call those around us to say, hey, look, let's take notice. Let's testify to the work of the Lord in our lives and in our world. And so I wonder where you find yourself today. Um, Do you feel like you're stuck in a place of brokenness? I need to be reminded that, that God sees you and loves you that you're treasured and chosen by him? Are you feeling overwhelmed by um, being feelings of just being out of control and need to remind, be reminded that God is still in control even when it seems like things are just crazy around us? Or maybe you have some areas of your life where you're feeling freedom and healing and there may be opportunities coming for you to share and reflect on those with others. That you may have eyes to see how you might testify to what Jesus is doing in your own life. I pray for all of us that we would make him known. That we would be able to to speak the words of what God is doing in our lives and in those around us. um, So that we can um, just testify to his reality in this world. The kingdom reality of Jesus. Which is 
different than the than um, what's happened with the spirits of our world, right? Um, that can be so discouraging. But Jesus is here and Jesus is working. And how can we speak into into our world what He's doing to say, "Here's the kingdom of God. Let's see it and let's pay attention to it because this is our true reality." Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you don't leave us no matter where we are. We thank you that your grace is always available to us. And so I pray that now on all of us, God, may your grace come into our lives and set us free. May you set us free, God, so that we can in turn preach your word, proclaim your goodness to those in darkness around us. We pray, God, Jesus, just that you would be uh, high and lifted up in our world. We pray, God, for your your coming justice, your coming redemption, your coming restoration of this world. Lord, we pray that you would come and that you would make it right. And we pray as your church that you would use us as instruments of peace and instruments of healing. We thank you, God, for being with us. We thank you for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.